Welcome to the Legal Toolkit, bringing you the latest legal trends and business initiatives to help you manage your law firm. Here are your hosts, experienced lawyers, writers, and entrepreneurs, Heidi Alexander and Jared Correa. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Hey there, folks. On this special edition of the Legal Toolkit here on the Legal Talk Network, both Heidi Alexander and I are back. Heidi's got you for the second half of the show where she'll clean up my mess, much like Koji Uehara. If you're a returning listener, we're glad to have you back. If you're a first-time listener, hopefully you'll become a long-time listener. I'm your co-host, Jared Correa, and in addition to casting this pod, I'm also the Assistant Director and Senior Law Practice Advisor with Massachusetts LOMAP. LOMAP provides free and confidential law practice management consulting services to Massachusetts attorneys. For more information on LOMAP's offering, visit our website at masslomap.org. That's M-A-S-S-L-O-M-A-P dot org. You can also buy my book, Twitter in One Hour for Lawyers from the American Bar Associations, on iTunes and Amazon, maybe by drone soon, and probably a bunch of other places I don't even know about yet. Here on the Legal Toolkit, we provide you each month with a new tool to add to your own legal toolkit so that your practices will become more and more like best practices. But today, we're not going to fix up your tree at our shop and bring it back here. Instead, we're going to talk about some of the results of an interesting study commissioned by LexisNexis Council Link, indicating that smaller law firms are making gains on the largest ones. And that news surely represents an early Christmas present for some. So for today's episode, we'll head straight to the source and interview two of the principals of CounselLink, Director of Consulting Services Chris Sakunis and Director of Strategic Services Mike Hazley. Chris leads the CounselLink team in advising corporate legal department managers on improving operations with data-driven decisions. Her specific expertise lies in matter pricing and staffing, practice area metrics and scorecards. She became the founder and director of the LexisNexis Redwood Think Tank after moving to Lexis from SunTrust Bank, where she was a senior vice president in strategic finance. Mike helps corporate legal departments manage the business of law. Mike works with an expert team at LexisNexis to advise legal departments on improving operations and results. He joined LexisNexis Council Link from Waste Management, where he was the director of legal operations. Welcome to the show, Chris and Mike. Thanks. Thanks, Jared. Great. Now, my first question is, how do I get to work at the Redwood Think Tank? That sounds pretty exciting. I feel like I could ride a unicycle around there or something and that nobody would look at me funny. It was a good cover. Uh, basically, as long as you're interested in innovation for the legal industry, you had a good shot at making it into the Think Tank. That sounds like an interesting project. We should talk more. So, we're talking today about your recently released Enterprise Legal Management Trend Reports 2013 Mid-Year Edition, The Rise of Large Enough Law Firms. And I like that title, A Rise of Large Enough Law Firm. Sounds like a summer blockbuster. So let's start to unpack this thing. How would you define enterprise legal management? And what's a large enough law firm? Yeah, it's, that's a big, long title. So yeah, let's put a little context around this. I think that'll help. So enterprise legal management, it's really software that's a subcategory in the government's risk and compliance area. And one way to think about it. It's that work in the legal department that's not practicing law. So a lot of people think of it as legal operations. And the way I visualize it, it's really the sum of several different parts. Um, and these can include things like you know, document management, matter management, spend management, which includes e-billing. And all these technologies and processes in these different areas all combine to make up what we call enterprise legal management. 
That's pretty good. I think that could be a dictionary definition. There you go. Well, I'll take your second question about the large enough. What's our definition of large enough? So when we started out this study, we, we wanted to have some more meaningful and more granular, really, categories of law firms than traditionally what people talk about. You know, it's the AMLAW 100 and the AMLAW 200 and all the other firms. So we wanted to get a little bit more specific. And we chose to categorize firms based on the number of lawyers in a firm. So the category that we're calling large enough is the group of firms that has between 200 and 500 lawyers. So they're not mega firms by any means, but clearly these are sizable law firms between 200 and 500 attorneys. And you know, as you might think for a firm of that size, they're going to cover multiple practice areas, be able to work across the, the board and in different types of work. They're oftentimes they have multiple offices and strong regional reputations and in many cases strong national reputations. So they're we call them large enough because of all of those attributes and because they are serious contenders for winning valuable legal work. Yes, perfect segue, and we'll talk about that later as well, because that's one of the interesting findings of your study. So you're talking about the AMLAW 1000 then, right? (laughs) Well, yeah, and then we break it down. Now let's talk a little bit about the study itself. It's more than a survey. I'd like to know why that is. And furthermore, I'd like to know what the basis of the study is. So you two love data, it sounds like, especially you, Chris. Where is the data coming from for this study? Right. Well, that's important that we have access to a great data source in CounselLink. Essentially, our study is based on objective data rather than subjective input, which is what most surveys end up being. In subjective sort of surveys, they're certainly informative and they have their place. You know, we, we all use survey data all of the time, but if you can actually get to data, you can provide much more concrete evidence. And when we're talking about the legal industry, what more does anybody want except for hard facts and and evidence to support anecdotal behavior or beliefs that that we have about trends? So the source that we use then is LexisNexis CounselLink. And as Mike has explained the definition of what CounselLink is, it is a system to help with enterprise legal management. And it happens to house a couple million legal invoices that get processed through the system that cover more than 300,000 matters. And if you think about the amount of fees that are represented by those invoices, it's more than $10 million in legal fees. So we take all of that data that comes from those invoices and we first we anonymize it and we aggregate it in these different ways so that we can start to slice and dice the data and do this sort of analysis. I see. Certainly, that's a lot of data to derive. So let's get down to brass tacks then. What's the most important thing you discovered in generating this study? Well, there's one. There's one for sure. There's one big thing that stood out to us as we started pulling apart the information. And because we have multiple years' worth of data, we decided to look at a four-year trend. We wanted to go back in time to at least four years. We took that period of time and wanted to see which law firms and which sizes of law firms are handling which types of work. And as we pulled the data apart, what we found is that there was a material shift in who is handling particularly some high-value work and, most importantly, 
what we saw is that these large enough firms, again, those are the firms that are between 200 and 500 attorneys, they've more than doubled their share over that four-year period of large litigation. So we think large litigation is valuable work that, um, that everybody wants. So they've doubled it, and at whose expense? It turns out it's at the expense of the largest 50 firms who have lost significant shares. So we think that is a really compelling piece of information and news that people should be paying attention to. Oh, absolutely. And certainly more compelling for the large enough law firms than for the large law firms, I'm sure. Well, compelling, I hope, in both ways. Right? It's compelling or it's probably pleasing for the large enough firms to see evidence of this happening. But for the largest 50 firms, perhaps it's a wake-up call to start looking more into efforts around client retention and, and ways to, to hold on to that business. Yeah. Certainly, there are a lot of ways you can slice the data. It's an intriguing study, and there's a lot of information packed in there. I think it's particularly interesting that of the large enough law firms you studied, those firms utilized alternative fee arrangements twice as often as their larger competitors. How much do you think that this shifting of work from large firms to large enough firms is based on the fact that they're offering AFAs to their clients? And does this signify the beginning of a significant shift from hourly billing to AFAs? And will the larger firms, as well as the smaller firms, begin to draft off of that trend? Yeah, that's a, it's a big question or a couple of, of questions there. And there's so much talk about AFAs that we read about probably every day. You'll see another article being published about them. And in the context of this story, I think that the AFA results are important. I don't think that they are the primary driver by any stretch here, but they're part of a bigger story that's been evolving within the legal industry for years. So think about it. Corporate counsel, you know, they've been under cost pressure. They want to either manage costs down or have more predictable costs or probably both. They've been exploring all avenues to do that, to be able to manage costs more effectively. And if you look at large enough firms, we didn't actually include this data in the study, but I think it's fairly obvious to, I think, most people in the industry, the smaller firms have lower hourly rates, broadly speaking. We know they have lower rates. And now we're seeing that they're also more actively engaged in AFAs. To me, it's the combination of those facts about pricing with the fact that these firms have strong reputations, have proven records of good outcomes and talented attorneys. And it's really not hard to see why this shift is happening over time. It doesn't happen overnight, but over the course of four years, we've seen it happen. So on to your Your other question about AFAs and the trend of AFAs, you know, I firmly believe that, and and I see evidence of it, there's more and more of an appetite for AFAs from corporate counsel, even if corporate counsel aren't asking for AFAs for their largest matters for a significant portion of their work. They are exploring ways that they can get more AFAs. You know, they're asking for suggestions from from outside counsel about um, opportunities for them to engage in them. So I think that we're, we're seeing this real need to provide more efficient results than you get by billing by the billable hour. And that spans all categories of firms. And it may not be every firm. Yeah, I'm sure that there will always be many firms that bill by nothing but the billable hour. But I think if you look at more of a macro level, um, you're going to see all categories of firms that are moving more and more toward AFAs. So, yeah, maybe AFAs aren't the driver. It sounds like, as 
is the case with traditional legal marketing, that it's a matter of the cost plus the reputation of the firm, even when billable hours are being charged. But do you identify a main driver then, or a few main drivers for this shift in business outside of the AFA question? I think it's the whole package that I described. It's economics that's driving it. So it's a combination of, of seeing that you can get good pricing from capable firms. You know, and, and that capability, of course, comes first. Uh, having solid outcomes is always going to be more critical than saving money. But if you can put those two things together, then you know, it's the holy grail. Well, thank you both. This conversation has been very interesting to start. Unfortunately, the first half of our show is already large enough. See what I did there? Very good. And we're going to have to stop for a program break. But when we return, Heidi Alexander will have more questions for the folks at Council Link. This is normally the space in our show when we offer words from sponsors. And this potentially represents a unique opportunity for you. The Legal Toolkit is seeking sponsors. You can hear your advertisement right here. If you're interested, contact the team at Logical at info at logical.com. That's L-A-W-G-I-C-A-L. Now, if we get Rolos to sponsor us, does that mean they'll send me free Rolos these months? I hope so. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too. Welcome back. Now I have to apologize in advance. There'll be no baseball references in this half of the show. So for those of you who didn't get it either, Koji Uehara is apparently a pitcher for the Boston Red Sox. Now, does that make me a bad Bostonian? Probably. But alas, I'm a Minnesota native, so that should count for something. And if you want to know more about that and my lack, my utter lack of baseball knowledge, check out Jared's podcast interview with me back in March. So as you may already know, I'm your co-host, Heidi Alexander, and I'm the law practice advisor at Massachusetts LOMAP. We're joined today by Chris Satkunas and Mike Hazley of LexisNexis CounselLink. We're talking with them about a fascinating new study from CounselLink, which indicates that smaller firms are gaining on the largest law firms. So, Chris and Mike, what have you seen respecting geographic trends? Are there certain cities large enough law firms performing better than others? And if so, what does this tell you about the legal market in certain regions of the country? Yeah, I'll take that question, Heidi. So, a lot of people have been asking us that question since this study came out, and it's and it's interesting. Everybody wants to know if this information is relevant to them into their market and and probably hopeful or hopeful that it is or hopeful that it isn't, I guess, depending on, on what side of the coin that, that they're on. So I can understand why people are asking the question. Unfortunately, my answer is I don't know yet. So that's the next cut of the data that we're planning to look at relative to um, to this whole study. So we started at the macro level and found a story that really spoke to the market. But for now, it's still premature to answer the question about the different geographies. We have the data, and we're able to split it that way. We didn't have time to do it for this study and are still in the process of moving in that direction. So I guess I'll say, check with me next time. Maybe that's a reason for, for you to invite me back. Great. 
So I did notice that as part of the study, in particular, Boston lags behind specifically in billable rate increases. Is there a way you can talk about that? I know that there was some geographical data, and I wondered if you could comment on that. Oh, yeah, definitely. So we're able to slice the data that I've talked about, all this information that we pull out, the invoices from CounselLink, based on both the city that it's in. We can look at states. We can look at you know a, a roll-up of states and look at different regions, whatever makes sense to people. So, yeah, we looked at the cities, and I think that for most people, that's certainly the most interesting um, of the information and found that there's a huge range of rates that are charged, and it's not really surprising. Um, But we look at it both by the absolute rates that are paid to partners in those cities, but also look at the rate increases year-over-year, and we look at rate increases over a year-over-year period and over a three-year period, so people have a sense of whether rate increases are sustainable. Um, And I think that information is super helpful to to people in both corporate counsel roles and also from the law firm role to be able to determine if the rate increases that they're considering are in line with what's going on in the marketplace. So pretty powerful benchmarking stuff, and we definitely see the importance of being able to break things down by geography. So you think there's pretty much a range. You can't necessarily define geographic regions, per se? Well, you can. You can take a look at a specific region. You know, say you want to look at the Southwest, for instance, and, and look at that and look at the aggregation of the law firms or the lawyers that are working um, in those regions. And you can look at both um, what we reported in this study is the median rate within, you know, within that region or within the state or the city that we looked at. Um, but we can also look at data that shows what the range, kind of a normal range of rates is. And you know, it's important to understand both the median and what the normal range around it is. You alluded to this a moment ago. But for someone who is responsible for managing the legal spend of a corporation, be it the general counsel or the legal operations manager, how do you advise those folks to use this information? Yeah, you know, as Jared kind of mentioned at the beginning, I recently joined LexisNexis after spending basically a decade as director of legal operations at Waste Management. So, you know, honestly, when I saw this report for the first time, that's the first thing that went through my head, which was, you know, were I sitting in my chair as someone responsible for legal spin for a large legal department, what would I do with this? Um, you know, and, and kind of at a high level, you know, the obvious thing is you use this information as a, as a guide for you know, spotting areas where you can make improvements. You know, it's either the aha moment, something you never thought about, or it could be you know, just reinforcing a hunch that you already had. Uh, you know, in the second area, kind of at a high level that I use it, would be in my conversations with my senior management, use it as support to get their buy-in to actually go do something. Um, that's one of the things I found in my, in my job was sometimes get, being able to actually go do something was the hardest part. And if you can show, look, other people are doing this, other people are having a lot of success for this, that's going to get the buy-in from the decision makers that will let you actually go out and take some action. You know, as far as specific advice I might give somebody, you know, first and foremost, benchmark your own data. You know, you, you've got some great industry trends here. Take a look at your own data and see how you're doing in these areas. And those findings really help highlight some areas where you may be able to make some improvements. With that information, I would probably pick just one or two practice areas. I'd start small. Starting small is going to help you, you know, first of all, pick some areas where you already have hunches where you think you could be successful. And, you know, being successful and, you know, coming up with some great guidelines and processes and metrics 
those are things that are going to help you roll this out and repeat the process and get more value out of it. And I guess as a last comment on this, I'd probably say being able to repeat these assessments and redo this is really important. You don't want this to be a one-time event. Now, these firms, when they do these assessments, is there any way for them to be in touch with CounselLink? Yeah, absolutely, yes. That strategic services organization that Chris and I are both part of, that's exactly the type of work we do with our, our clients is go in and help them, first of all, analyze the data. Chris has got a spectacular analytics background, so and obviously is the author of this report. You can see the kind of work she can do. So that helps us come up with, like I said, the ideas of what we can do. And then my background, having hands-on done many, and managed many of these things, that's exactly the types of things that Chris and I go in and help our clients do. That sounds like it could be very helpful to firms. Right. I wanted to move away just a bit from the larger firm model and talk a bit about smaller firms because many of our individual clients are smaller firms and solo practitioners. I'm wondering if there are any lessons that smaller firms and solo practitioners can derive from this study. Yeah, I think that's a great question. We we homed in on these two categories of firms, the, the largest 50 and the large enough firms, because the story just jumped out of the data so clearly, and, and that's what everybody's been talking about now. But it's not the entire story, and certainly making the information relevant to all firms, I think, is really important. You know, certainly you can apply this, the trend that you're seeing or the knowledge that you gain from it to any size firm. And my recommendation would be for any firm to know your strengths and to define who your competition is. You know, in other words, from which firms do you think you could win business? And more than likely, that's going to include firms that are larger than yours. So if you are a solo firm, then perhaps you should be thinking about whether you could handle the work that um, firms with 10 lawyers are doing. And chances are that you can. So I think it's really about defining your mission and then making sure that you've clearly articulated you know, this value proposition to the market. And yeah, go get the business from the other firms. I think it's possible no matter where you are on that spectrum of size of firm. And there's clearly a lot of data in that study that could help those solos understand the changing market. Yeah, that's right. So we focus the story that we told on those two different categories, but we do report on, within the study itself, we report on a handful of other categories, including, you know, firms that, uh, a couple categories of firms that are smaller than the 200 attorney um, firm size. And, you know, if the data isn't evident in the study, it certainly would be an option to contact myself and Mike to see if we can help you to find that information that's more specific to what you're trying to look at. So the study really just surfaces some of the highlights. We're certainly available to help people find exactly what they're looking for. Well, thanks, Chris and Mike. This has been an interesting program for sure. Now that'll just about do it for this episode of the Legal Toolkit. And I'd like to thank Chris Setkunas and Mike Hazley of LexisNexis CounselLink for taking the time to drop by our virtual studio. Now, we focused this entire podcast on a study from CounselLink, but we haven't told you where to find it yet. For your convenience, we've made that study available through a link at the page where you've accessed the audio portion for this program. 
Chris and Mike, will you remind our listeners about how they can find out more about you and what you do at CounselLink? Sure. Well, for one thing, our contact info is in the study. So if you access it you'll, on the back page, you'll, you'll find our contact information. So that's one place. And the other thing I would recommend is people go out to the strategic services section of the website that's at counselink.com and you can read about the sorts of things that Mike and I do to, to help uh, corporate counsel. Thanks again. Thank you. And thanks to everybody out there online for listening. And remember, you can check out all of our shows at legaltalknetwork.com. Happy holidays. Thanks for listening to Legal Toolkit, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Join Heidi and Jared for their next podcast, covering the current business trends for law firms. Subscribe to the RSS feed on LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the Unbillable Hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.